Evelyn, invite you to open up to Psalm 55, the psalm that Elfie read for us earlier. We're going to be looking at this psalm this morning. For the last few weeks, we've been touching in various ways on the, the topic of fear and anxiety. And interestingly, I, I went back on the internet to 2018 this past week before COVID, right, before this latest election cycle, and listen to some of the headlines I found about anxiety. America really is in the midst of a rising anxiety epidemic. A lot of Americans are more anxious than they were last year, a new poll says. Anxiety in the West, is it on the rise? And their answer was yes, and millennials are the most anxious. Now just add to that all that's happened since 2018, the pandemic, ongoing divisiveness on social media, racial tensions, reporting about riots and looting in cities and fears that there might be more, politicians and their supporters who are trying very hard to make us very afraid, and the media pumping out negative story after negative story with headlines like, you should be very afraid about X that just happened. Have you noticed how anxious journalists and political commentators are? As you may know, NPR even has a radio show entitled The United States of Anxiety. And all of this is taking its toll on us. And so I thought it would be good to directly address the topic of anxiety this morning and to look at what God's word has to say to us about it. And our psalm for today, Psalm 55, does that. It is the prayer of a very anxious man. In fact, a very afraid man. Fear and anxiety, by the way, are roughly on the same emotional spectrum. Anxiety is a moderate emotion, and fear is when it really spikes in the extreme. Well, in this psalm, the author, who happens to be King David, is very afraid. Listen again to verses 4 and 5. He prays, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Ever feel like that? Or maybe a milder form of that? Well, what does David do when he's so afraid and so anxious? He prays, which is why I've entitled this sermon, Praying Afraid. It's an example. It's a model of how to pray when you're very anxious or when you're downright afraid. You see, fear is nothing new. Feeling anxious is nothing new. These emotions have been around forever, and the Bible addresses them. Have you ever noticed that the Bible never candy coats anything? That it never sticks its head in the sand? That it never pretends? People may come to church and pretend, but the Bible doesn't pretend. That's why we need to preach the Bible. We need to let it correct us. And what the Bible says to us is, stop faking it. Stop pretending you're more together than you are. We all get afraid. We all get anxious. And the Bible doesn't judge us for it. It says, okay, that's your reality. Fine, let's start there and let's let God lead you where he wants you to go. So let's start this morning with the reality that this psalm conveys. 
And then we'll move from that reality to the response that it encourages us to make. So first reality, then response. Let's look first at three realities that this psalm deals with. And here's the first reality. Even the faithful can have trouble, right? The Bible never promises that if we're faithful to God, we won't have troubles. We will. Even the faithful have trouble. What faithful Bible character didn't have trouble? I mean, think about it. Moses had trouble. Abraham, Joseph, they had trouble. Paul had trouble. Even Jesus had trouble. And here we see that King David has trouble, big trouble. In verse 3, he complains about the threats of the, the wicked who bring down suffering on him and assail them in, or assail him in their anger. In verses 9 to 12, there's violence and strife in the city. His enemies are prowling on the city walls. There's malice and abuse. There are, there are threats and lies in the streets. Destructive forces are at work in the city. David is king, but his kingdom isn't secure at this point. Not even his capital city of Jerusalem is secure. There's evidently a powerful group uh, in the capital who have allied themselves against David, and they're threatening him. They're making threats and demands, it seems, and they're slandering him behind his back, verse 11. They're making up nasty lies to turn people against him, perhaps to ruin his reputation, to stir up outrage and rebellion against him. And it's working. His approval ratings are in the tank. His character has been assassinated. People are rising up against him and it's all completely false. Nothing new in politics. And because David is king, his whole government and the stability and order that it represents are being threatened. Violence in the streets, there's unrest. Even the faithful can have trouble. That's the first reality. The second reality is that even good church folks can betray us. Listen to verses 12 to 14. David cries out, If my enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. There's nothing worse. Maybe you've experienced this. There's nothing worse than when another Christian, someone you trust completely, betrays you. Sure. Well. I've, I've had it happen to me. David had it happen to him. And you can't read this psalm and not think about the experience of the son of David, Jesus. Betrayed by Judas, betrayed by one of his own close followers. Betrayal is emotionally devastating. That's why David is totally falling apart in this psalm. Which leads us to the third reality that this psalm reminds us of. And that is that even the godly can suffer from overwhelming fear and anxiety. David, right? The brave shepherd boy who killed the giant Goliath with a slingshot. David, the mighty warrior, renowned for his courage. Yet even he had his weak moments where he was 
uh, really human, where he was gripped by fear and anxiety. Listen again to what this brave warrior says in verses four to seven. The terrors of death have fallen on me, he complains. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. David's so fearful here, he's trembling. He just wants to run away. He's scared for his life. Even godly people get anxious and at time get overwhelmed with fear. That's reality. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to fake it or to be ashamed of feeling anxious. I, I can tell you, I have found these last eight months pretty challenging at various points. I'm generally a pretty calm, steady person, but at points, my anxiety level has spiked pretty high. I've had trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, trouble praying. And I've had to do some of those deep breathing exercises that we practiced in the service several weeks ago and to try to get some time away to calm my anxiety. Anxiety, fear, they are realities for us. So that's the reality that this psalm reminds us of and describes for us. Let's, let's move now from the reality to the response. What, what's the response that this psalm is seeking to teach us, that it's seeking to model for us when we're anxious? What does it show us about praying afraid, praying when we're afraid? Well, let me mention four things that I see in this psalm. There are others. The first is to pray, specifically to pray your fears and your anger, your negative emotions, rather than acting on them. Notice that David chooses to pray rather than taking matters into his own hands, rather than letting his fear and anxiety control him. Notice David does not flee from the city out to the wilderness, which might be safer. And he doesn't fight. He doesn't destroy his enemies. Fight or flight, those are two natural responses to fear and anxiety, and they have their place. When you see a bear coming in the woods, that would be a good moment for your fight and flight reflex to kick in and uh, to run for safety or to fight off the bear, depending on what has a better chance in that moment of being more successful. But when you're dealing with people and when you have leadership responsibilities or responsibilities for other people, running away from your problems or destroying those who are against you aren't usually the best responses. And so David instead prays. And listen to how he prays, verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. People have criticized the Psalms for being so violent. Like here, David prays for the destructions of his enemy. Lord, smite my enemies. But, but here's the thing. Asking God to destroy your enemies is at least better than destroying them yourself. Better, than, better to put them in God's hands, God who is just and merciful, than to take matters into your own hands. And that's what David does. He does not murder his enemies, fight. He doesn't run from them, flight. Instead, he prays about it, faith. 
David takes it to God. That's the first thing about his response. He prays. The second is that his prayer is honest. It's not pretty. It's not holy. It's honest. And you know, honest prayers are really the only prayers worth praying. David is always honest in his prayers. Just read through the Psalms. See how honest they are. In this Psalm, David is honest about his fear. How he's literally shaking. He's terrorized. He's terrified. He wants to run away. He wants his enemies dead. He adds in verse 23, he tells God, you will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. David doesn't fake his internal motives or pretty up his emotions. He's honest when he prays about how he feels and what he wants. I'm still learning to pray that way. Because sometimes I'm not even in touch with how I'm feeling. And, and so I, I can I go to pray and, and I click into knowing the right words to say. And, and so I say the right words, but but I'm not they're not really coming from my heart. And so I'm having to learn, I'm learning to grow in getting honest with God because then I'm really in touch with my emotions and I can enjoy, I can um, own them and bring them to God. And then God and I can both deal with them together. And so then the third aspect of David's response, not only does he pray and not only is he honest in his prayer, but third, he chooses to get his focus on God, not on his troubles. Verse 16. As for me, he prays, I will call to God and the Lord, or I call to God and the Lord saves me. Verse 19. God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear my enemies and humble them because they have no fear of God. David gets his eyes lifted up to God. You know, I've, I've said before that too often our prayers wind up just being worrying upward, worrying upward. I've done this myself many times. We're, we're focused on our cares, on our concerns, on our problems. We kneel down, we recite them, we ask for help. But the whole time, our prayers really all focused on ourselves and our problems. And hardly at all really focused on God. We just hope God's listening. David doesn't do this. He, he, he doesn't worry upwards. David actually focuses on God and he gets his eyes on God. This reminds me of a story in the Gospels where Jesus is walking on the water. His disciples are in the boat. Peter steps out of the boat onto the water to go out and meet Jesus. The water is choppy. The water is, is uh, wavy, stormy. But as long as Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus, he can walk on the water too. But when he gets distracted and he starts to look at the wind and the waves, what happens? He begins to sink. That's what David is modeling for us here. Getting your eyes off of the waves, off of our problems, and on to God. Remembering who God is. Remembering what God is like remembering what God has done for us in the past. This helps to put our problems into perspective and to calm our anxieties. As we pray, we're seeking to focus 
on God more than on our troubles. That's the third response we see here, getting our eyes on God. And then fourth and last response, that's to keep praying through the day. Verse 17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. David keeps pausing as he goes through his day to redirect his focus back to God. David stays connected to God through the day. Because here's my experience. I I may take time in the morning to pray and to focus on God, but then life happens and stuff comes flying at me or my worries begin to build up again to press in on me through the day. And whatever peace and focus and perspective I may have had in the morning begins to fade away, right? I've also experienced that, that sitting down to pray one time often isn't enough to deal with my anxiety. I've got to keep at it. I've got to keep trying to pray, keep being honest with God about my anxiety. I've got to keep trying to keep my, get my focus on God. And it takes time and it takes repetition to chip away at my anxiety and to restore my focus on God. It's a process. It's a habit. It's not a one and done magic fix. And so what David shows us here here is that we need to come back to God to refocus our attention periodically. David says he does it evening, morning, and noon. And interpreters debate whether he means this literally, whether he prays three times a day, or he just means he does it all day long. He's being figurative here. We do know that, that Daniel, another Bible character, another man of prayer, was known to pray three times a day. And that that came to be Jewish practice at some point. We also know that Christians picked that up and they called it the hours or the daily office. Sometimes, especially in monasteries, they expanded it to five or seven times a day. But whatever the details, it's just a basic recognition that we have to work at staying connected with God through the day. 15 or 30 minutes in the morning isn't enough. And so what some do, I've done this, is to set an alarm for lunchtime and maybe another one for the evening. And when that goes off, we remember, we, we pause for however long that your situation allows, maybe just a minute, maybe five minutes. And, and we read a psalm or take a few minutes to pray. Or even if all you can do, just look up upward and for a second, pray a silent quick prayer and say, God, thank you for being there with me. I need you. The point is to reorient ourselves. It's to get off of our problems and onto God to reconnect with God. And then to do it again in the evening. And then to do it again tomorrow. It's just recognizing that Trusting God with our problems and keeping our focus on God, it's a process. It takes practice. It takes repetition. And the goal is that it grows into a habit. And for David, as he does this, it begins to reorient his perspective and restore his trust in God. So that, listen to how he ends his time of prayer in the psalm. Listen to the trust and confidence that have been restored in his heart at the end of this prayer, verses 22 and 23. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust 
in you. Through his repeated praying, David's trust in God is being restored. Okay, well, now let's get even more practical with this. We are privileged to have as part of CBC, Wanda Morgan. And Wanda has years of experience as a therapist um, and also as someone who does prayer ministry to pray uh, with people and for people for inner healing, for emotional healing. And um, she has also had her own personal experiences and battles with anxiety. And I thought what I'd like to do this morning is, is spend the last part of our time together interviewing her so that she can give us some additional insights and strategies for handling anxiety in these anxious times. So Wanda, thanks for being a part of this. Yeah, looking forward to it, Dick. All right, so to start off, Wanda, we see in the Psalms, um, we see that fear and anxiety aren't always bad or sinful, something we need to be ashamed of. Why did God give us these emotions? What positive purpose do they have? Well, first of all, he gave us a number of different emotions that are very uh, different, like sadness, shame, disgust, despair, fear, and anger. And each of those are designed to enhance our life and help us be more who we want us to be. The problem is they have to be experienced at the proper time and at the proper intensity and for the proper duration. So our anxiety, if you had a child, anxiety is just a, a moderate form of fear. And you could have anything from just a little anxious to you're afraid to you're really, really scared to you're panicking enough that you would do something completely crazy. Um, but imagine having a child who is a three-year-old and they didn't have any fear at all. They weren't afraid of tall places. They weren't afraid of big, bad dogs. They weren't afraid of strangers. How difficult a time would you have even keeping them alive until they grew up? So fear is a protective uh, motivator for us to care for our life and to survive in the world God made for us. And, and why are um, people so anxious these days? Um, what effect does, does the chronic stresses of, of COVID, of political turmoil, et cetera, have on our anxiety levels over time when it's chronic like this? Well, I think you did a great job at the beginning of naming all the things that we're dealing with. And if you think about it, COVID is in a direct attack on our survival. It's not a bear in the woods, but it affects our, are we gonna live or not level of anxiety. And so we're here we are going, at one moment, we're maybe talking about somebody we know who died. And so it's staring up all that life or death sort of stuff. And then the impact that that has on our finances and do we have a job and are we gonna be able to make it? If you think about the anxiety just during 2008, we didn't have COVID, we just had, am I gonna have a job next week? Or am I gonna be able to pay my mortgage? So we've got that going on. And with the politics, we've got our identity being challenged. Who am I? Well, who is our country? Where are we gonna go? And then like Greg said uh, a few weeks ago, people are deliberately, and you mentioned, completely deliber deliberately trying to manipulate us about those ways. And the problem with, um, the anxiety is God intended for us to be afraid or anxious, then that would motivate us to do something, a self-preservation sort of activity, and then to go away. But the way we're having it, it's just chronic. It does physical things to our body, like 
we have, um, when we get afraid, we get adrenaline and cortisol rushing through our body. People can actually be stronger, like to fight something when they're all wired up on adrenaline and cortisol. But the effect of that on your body long-term is very detrimental. And some of the things you've mentioned, you know, is that it, it helps you, keeps you from sleeping. It upsets your stomach. If you have heart problems, it exacerbates all that kind of stuff. So, um, and the more important the situation and the more we can feel like we're completely out of control of the situation and the more it keeps changing, like one minute COVID is this way and one minute COVID's that way as we've learned things, the more anxious we feel. So related to that, when we're chronic, chronically anxious, which is what you're describing, that the anxiety just doesn't go away, it, it stays um, fairly high for a long time. How does this tend to affect our behavior? One of the biggest things it does is um, it shuts down what we call in the life model, our relational circuits. There's a part of our brain that's involved in being relational with one another. It's like when you're with somebody and you feel connected to them, you're liking them and you're enjoying your time together. You're curious about why they think the things they think and you really want to, you know, be in relationship with them. That's the way our brain normally works. But then when we get triggered into fight, flight, or freeze, which we, we all have one of those three primary responses to a, a panic, um, the brain just shuts that down. And we at that part of your brain is in the uh, relational circuits is not exactly, not a technical term. There's a part of your brain in the prefrontal cortex that's responsible for this. It just disconnects it because you don't want to be thinking and solving problems and being relational when your life is being threatened. So then we just experience people as they're a problem. The problem's more important than the person. We just kind of want to make them go away, leave me alone. We get locked into the upsetting thing that we're having in our mind then. And we just tend to be more aggressive, to judge others, to think they just need to be fixed. And uh, Jim Wilder calls this shifting into enemy mode, brain-wise. And there are ways to get out of that, but the more anxiety we have chronically, we're kind of carrying ourselves more on the edge of falling into that place where we're not being relational. Um, and so one of the things we're gonna do in the discussion group is to look at an exercise that helps us get our relational circuits back on. It also just wears us out. If you normally have this much capacity to go through your day, you end up starting off with this much capacity. And so just even smaller things that you normally would handle really well, you just sort of fall apart in. And um, it also can create, uh, anxiety creates a tunnel vision, like your ability to generate options and I could do this or I could do that. And let me see which one fits better and evaluating that from a, a, your whole prefrontal cortex executive control part going shuts down. So you tend to overreact to things without thinking through them. And then you also mentioned it creates stress, sleep problems. Uh, it, uh, chronic stress can actually deplete the level of serotonin in our brain. And we need serotonin to not be depressed, to not be anxious and to sleep properly. So sometimes it actually just changes the biochemistry in our brain as it goes on. Like a week worth of stress is one thing. Six months worth of stress or eight months worth of stress, it's a whole nother thing. Um, I recently read that, that we can feel the emotion of anxiety um, without knowing why. 
and that uh, if we're feeling that anxiety in our body, our brain actually looks for a reason or an explanation. Could you say more about that and the false thinking patterns that, that this can lead to? Okay, this is a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, the actual technical term for it is confabulation. And there's done some research where if you, if you hypnotize somebody and then during water hypnotize, you say, when I get through with the, when I let you come, you come out, of, out, of, out of the hypnotism, I'm going to knock on the table and you're going to go over and open the window. And then they bring them out of the trance and somewhere in the next conversation, they knock on the table. The person kind of gets a little funny look on their face and gets up and opens the window. And if you say, why did you open the window? They'll kind of go, uh, uh, it was hot in here. And they don't have any remembrance of the, uh, of the instruction and the hypnotism. But what that means is our brain does not tolerate having stuff in front of us that we can't explain. So you've got that piece of it. And then we also have two different kinds of memory. We have what's called explicit memory, which is a memory with a story. Like you can remember eating breakfast this morning, or I can remember the sermon that you just gave. And I might've had a feeling about your sermon. Uh, and I would know this feeling was, came with that sermon. But we also have another kind of memory called implicit memory. And children under two, that's all they have. They don't create stories to go with their memories. So if they have an experience with a big black dog that scared them to death at 18 months, they might have an anxiety reaction every time they see a black dog for the next 20 years, but not really know where it came from. So sometimes when, it can also be a good feeling that gets paired with something like this particular cologne smelled really good. And I like guys that wear that. I feel good, you know, so it could be positive or negative. So, but what happens is when one of those feelings, feeling time emotions comes up and we don't have an answer for it, we pick what's in front of us and we come up with a story. And a classic example is that's called triggering and it, it really interferes with relationships a lot. I'll give you an example in a relationship. I had issues with my father who would get really afraid about being at work and losing his job and he would just not show up when he promised me he would do things. And I would feel sad, not very important, disappointed and hurt. So fast forward, Doug and I are married and I fix this wonderful dinner. He's comfortable to be home from work at six o'clock and then at 6.15, 6.30, 6.45. Something really important actually happened, but he walks in the door and I start feeling all that stuff big, this much is Doug and this much is dad but I have no idea that that's, I've picked Doug to blame all that bad feelings from the past on. So that kind of works with different feelings. Is that kind of what you're talking about entering? And there's also an author, a real good friend of mine, Carl Lehman, who, who calls, that he calls it uh, the verbal logical explainer in our brain. It's, we're gonna verbally explain a logical story to explain what's going on in front of us. <laughs> So if we're feeling a lot of anxiety and we don't know why, what, what might our verbal, verbal logical explainer do about that? Well, it usually tries to come up with something we think we can fix. Like for example, if Doug just is lazy and doesn't, get, doesn't come home when he's supposed to, if I get mad at him and yell at him, then he might not do that anymore. But we absolutely, so trying to solve what we think the problem is doesn't work. We have to kind of slow down and, and really, okay, what's going on? Is this a feeling I felt before in a situation similar to this? Is there something here that might not have anything to do with the environment I'm in right now or the person I'm with? And then of course, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. 
And, you know, what, what's going on here, Lord? Why am I feeling so mad? This is really not that big a thing. Um, and then, of course, if, it, if the big feelings start coming from a trauma history, that would probably be something that therapy would be helpful for. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one last question. Um, so we can't control all the causes of our anxiety, some of these things like COVID. Um, so what can we control? What can we do to reduce or manage our anxiety in, in a, um, a context where the causes aren't going to go away anytime soon? Yeah. Well, the, I guess you've got two categories of things you can do. There's things you can say no to and things you can say yes to and do more. Um, note, like for me, it's like, I'm not going to watch the news tonight because I know there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm, I'll just get all riled up and particularly if it's at night and I have to go to bed. Um, just so whatever the thing is, I open the door to that anxiety, do less of them. Okay? Um, the second thing would be to, to do, limit your discussions in your community about the bad stuff. We have this propensity to spend a lot more time complaining. It could be about the weather, it could be about politics, it could be about anything than we do about being uh, joyful. So just saying, I'm not gonna get in that conversation with this friend that I tend to get in that conversation that's stressful. Uh, and it, even if you're on the same team, you have the same, like say that you voted for the same person, it, that it, you still rile each other up. And then just, um, uh, just those two things, limiting the, th identify what it is that makes you anxious and spend less time doing it when you can. But the other thing is to say yes. And some of the things that reduce cortisol and adrenaline is just exercise. And it also increases serotonin levels. So if you just go out and get something, go run, walk, go to the gym, if it's, if it's open, do, you know, do anything that gets your body moving. Um, and if you can do that outside, there's all kinds of research now that just being outside in the tree, the world that God made, I actually walked in my woods singing How Great Thou Art the other day. That was amazingly common. There was, like, I couldn't, didn't see anybody around and I didn't sing too loud, but I loved it. Uh, so nature is really good. Then we also have the physical relaxation like the exercise that Rachel did with you a few weeks ago. And sometimes when you practice that physical relaxation, then you can pull it up when you're really anxious. You know, oh yeah, I did that the other day. I'm gonna do that right now. Um, and the one thing about the breathing exercises is breathing is one of the only functions of our body that is controlled by the sympathetic, by the uh, autonomic nervous system, which means it's automatic and the normal nervous system. So I can choose to breathe or I can be asleep and not breathing. And so I can, I cannot, sit and say, okay, I want my heart rate to get slower and make my heart rate slower, but I can choose to breathe slower and that will make my heart rate slower. And then uh, one of the other things is trying to have good sleep hygiene. We have a lot of trouble in our country with sleeping well under normal circumstances. And there are a lot of things that we do like stick to a regular sleep, sleep schedule, avoid nicotine and caffeine and alcohol too close to dinner, uh, you know, all, there's a whole, and the handout that we put with the email has a whole article about sleep hygiene. Just trying to get, because what you get anxious, then you sleep less, and then you get more anxious because you don't have the resources from sleeping, and then you sleep less. <laughs> it becomes a really vicious cycle. 
So, and then there's the spiritual practices, like um, the things like Greg was talking about, about doing the breath pair, uh, what you were talking about, about praying regularly on the hours and just connecting with God whenever you're in that moment and asking him what he wants, thinks you should do about the situation you're in right this minute. Uh, and then the last one is to just spend time with people that you really care about, that you really feel safe with, doing things that are fun, sometimes and, and meaningful and joyful, like tell joy stories to each other, come together at dinner and, and tell the story, the fun, most fun, happy thing that happened to you that day. So you're creating a different environment in this moment in front of you. And the other thing, appreciation is wonderful in any situation, but appreciating each other like, hey, Doug, I really appreciate that you washed those windows that we're, I could hardly see out of before summer, before winter comes. You know, all those cobwebs are gone, and I'm just loving to see the woods outside of our house because you did that for me. So the appreciation and staying relational with the people in your community. And it's harder Zoom, but it's better Zoom than nothing. So just focusing on that appreciation is always good because it creates appreciation itself creates serotonin in your brain, which helps you be less anxious. Those are a couple of suggestions. Thanks. And, and I like that the list of things you can do is a lot longer than the list of things you stop, need to stop. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. And you're going to stick around in the discussion group, right? And do um, a couple, teach us a couple exercises along these lines of things we can do to work on reducing our anxiety. Yep. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. So if you come to the discussion group today, it'll be kind of a, a lab practice, um, chance to practice some of these things. Um, but we're going to close out the service now. We're going to respond with a song. I will, I lift my eyes up. One my help comes from. So join us in worship as we, as we sing this closing song now. <laughs>